Here's what you missed on the last episode of Colony Confidential. One particular, a lot of people use them very corrosive, which is probably why the server fried. So we look at that when we were trying to put our program together. Okay, this isn't going to work. Then we looked at the saline-based one with the salt tablet that you put in and you fog it, right? Which somehow would not fry servers, allegedly. That is actually still true from what I'm understanding. But my friends in the healthcare community told me that in April, May, this product, all you had to do was spray it on or fog it or mist it. And then in November, they found out that no matter what you use, you still need to agitate the surface afterwards. So from April, May to November, a solid six months, right. they were spraying this according to what was science mm-hmm. and it wasn't really working. And now they figured out something else. So it was just that whole thing of constantly moving that we could have made a killing in disinfecting money-wise, but I just remember after Sandy or everybody that did mold. Mm-hmm. And I remember the lawsuits. So obviously, Ground Zero, New York, you're in 44 states, right? 43, yeah. 43. Take us outside of here. What's going on? Uh, All things COVID. What Texas is a great place right now. They are acting like COVID doesn't exist. Yeah, take us outside of the New York and what has been the experience there. We've actually, we haven't seen any impact on estimated receipts down south. And I think the primary reason is so much of it is outside and 12 months. We actually have a big company down in Florida that went up about 20% because people were home and they were seeing problems. And, and it, it, it's become such a cultural thing with the fear of the virus where, like you said, you were just in Florida. Texas is the same way. The Gulf Coast is the same way. People just doing what they do. They're not affected by it. You got people who are concerned and responsible and, you know, don't buy into that. But for the most part, life is going on down south. It's not like here. And we saw a lot of loss in income up here. Not as much as I thought. Depends on on your niche. I think if you're doing a lot of restaurants, you got hurt pretty bad. School districts were hurt for a little while. It really depended on what your focus was. But ultimately, as time went on, July, August, September, I think things changed. And people saying, all right, this ain't going anywhere. So we got to do what we do and just do it the best we can and just do it differently. But down south, it really didn't hurt as much as it hurt up here. And I think primarily because of the outside work. Yeah. Everybody I know that did residential did very well. That was primary residential. Oh, thanks for joining us. Listen, the dog had to go out. You know, these fucking Kardashians, they're all prima donnas. That's the problem. <laughs> Listen, and let me tell you something. Guess where I took her Thursday? Took her to a spa day. She got you bad. you no, took a dog for a spa day. Yeah. Frank, the world is absolutely coming to an end. <laughs> yeah, usually the spa day is like in a warm July day. You get some of that shampoo you got in a holiday inn or wherever you wet her up you take that shampoo rinse her off and actually and also she got her nails cut but i told them no no fingernail polish just cut the nails and uh (laughs) (laughs) but think about change i was just thinking about pest control has changed 
dramatically, like night and day. And I've been in it a while. And it went from spray everything to we got to be particular. And I'm sure you've seen how insurance has changed over the years. Yeah. Problem is, is, is more and more things happen. Yeah. In terms of you know, in, in, in litigation, certain carriers will find ways not to cover that anymore. And it evolves. But again, nothing happens quickly in insurance. It usually takes some time. But it's a, insurance has evolved more from a, a policy standpoint in terms of sharpening up EPLI, bringing cyber liability to the marketplace. Crime policies have gotten stronger. So it's not always for the worst that they change. Typically, some carriers will want to stand out from a coverage standpoint. But it's evolved. It's always evolving. Listen, we live in a litigious society. We've spoken about tort reform before. They have to, there are constantly people figuring out ways. What's the first thought when anybody has anything wrong happen? Can I sue for this? Yeah. It's terrible, but it's true. We joke about it all the time at family events. My uncle's a lawyer. Uh, I never forget somebody tripped at my aunt's house. And he was like, oh, we could, we could definitely hit the homeowner's insurance. And I was like, why would you even say that? But we're accustomed to that. Yeah, that's the mentality. And it's terrible because Chris's dad used to be a claims investigator for an insurance company. Okay. And I had somebody that had a comp claim that was having trouble and it was a legitimate, they got hurt. It was, there was no denying it, but they kept getting the runaround. And I spoke to their father and he was like, yeah, if that happened in Jersey, there'd be no fight. But because it was in New York and because of the amount of people running scams and doing all this crazy stuff in New York workers comp is just, it's disgusting to get what you really need. Yeah. But I was talking about residential when Ed Sheehan decided to uh, rejoin us. And, and my point with that was we had such a slow time because of the losses and we were fortunate enough to only lose 8%. But the downtime to focus on building out a residential program, doing it right, we finally had the time. And now is the time to pull the trigger. And it's funny because it's one of those, it's like the moment of truth. Are we going to get slammed? Are we going to be able to handle it? All of these things come into your head. But we had the opportunity to pivot to our new favorite word. And we, we were able to do it so. I'm excited to do that. My goal would be to be like a 70-30 mix, 70% commercial, 30% residential. It's a good balance. I mean, especially look at COVID. If you have that diversification, it, it's going to help you weather the world around us, really. For me, that was regional. For me, because I was in so many states, I didn't get my ass kicked by it. We were able to survive it. I think we grew it about 1.5% this year, which is- growth. In 2020. Any, yeah, any growth, I'll take it. We had a lot of acquisitions that hurt us. My biggest competitor is the internationals. The Orkins, the Anti-CMAX, Terminex as well. Uh, Rent the Kills was a big one for me this year. Suburban, right? What's that? You insured Suburban? Yeah. I wholesaled it for a, a broker, but yeah. How quickly from those do you start to see the pop-up startups? Oh, right away. Yeah. By the way, you'll get, you'll probably mean it happened with Assured. A lot of people who either are out of jobs or don't like the new administration will go. And a lot of them are seasoned. A lot of them do well. They start by themselves. Actually, they have an employee or two. They get two commercial vehicles and they've done well. And it's that type of arrangement historically was our bread and butter. The owner operator who ends up getting an employee and then has a vehicle and needs comp. With this industry, people remember, and there's a lot of loyalty, but people remember that you were there when they were nobody, when they were 
$700 a year for their insurance. You stopped them, helped them out. But I see a ton of that. Whenever there's a big acquisition, there's a ton of that. Obviously, it doesn't compare to the size of what you lost, but it's good to see that entrepreneurial spirit is, still exists. I think that the rent-to-kill acquisition of Suburban is going to be by far the most interesting because of how big of a residential player so, Suburban was. I've heard that from friends of ours where that they're, they're now focusing on that Nassau Suffolk residential for that reason. And it'll be interesting to see because typically the acquisitions happen from companies that have a very diversified book. And that particular book happened to be heavy residential. And yeah, the acquirer is not really known for that style. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage it, what they do with pricing and everything else. Yeah. I think it's smart that they kept, kept the son, Jason, on. And it would be in rent to kills best interest to keep him very happy yeah. for, for a good amount of time. Yeah, I don't know him, but I've heard he's solid. He's, he's good. He was good for Suburban. Yeah, I met Jason all the way back for the first time in Pest World, Arizona. And he's on, I don't know if you listen to Paul Giannamore's podcast. You should probably listen to it. I think you would get a lot out of it. It's, it's called, I'll send it to you in a text, but it's called <laughs> The Boardroom Buzz. It's all talking to people from Anti-CMAX, talking to people that sold, but he just had Jason's Marty son on, and you could hear how unhappy he was with the sale. Honestly, in my experience, and I've dealt with a lot of sell, a lot of companies that were acquired, fast forward 24, 36 months, they're never really happy. <laughs> it never works out the way everybody thought it would. Yeah, but there's a few who, who who may do, and but uh, there's always seller's remorse. And you know, ultimately, you, you're giving up. I look at it from my point of view. I've had two companies try to acquire us. And you listen. You always listen. But at the same time, your, your wealth, if you will, or your stability is coming from you still working weekly. And, and you, you're giving up a steady gig to get a big payout that you're going to pay tax on. Because you look at a company like you that started up, you, your cost basis is basically zero. So whatever I sell for, I'm getting hit with a large tax burden to do that. And then what? I'm 44 years old. You know, what am I going to work for somebody? I haven't worked for somebody in, in 30 years, in, in 20 years. It, it, it would be hard. And then there's your legacy. For me, I don't want one of my larger competitors to acquire me. Then who am I? Kind of lose my identity and how we become who we are. And I'm you're concerned about your legacy at that point. I would tell you to listen to that episode with Jason Baya just because you hear he was against the purchase or the sale, but he didn't have enough equity in the company. And it is a good podcast to listen to for any children out there because a thing to remember, Sheehan, you may want to chime in here when I say this, something that Paul pushes out there pretty heavy now. At, so they said that Suburban was doing $13 million. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But Jason didn't say yes or no to it. But at $13 million, and the rumor is they got four times, right? Yeah. So if they got close to whatever that comes out to 50, right? Million. A little bit more than 50. You can never... As the child, one, you can't borrow that. The bank is not giving that to you. I think they said Marty, the father's around 80. You'll never pay him off that money before he passes away. 
So Dave said it's a very difficult time for this because the parents are like, wow, this huge payday. I also don't think if you're running a $13 million company for a year and you've been for years and been sucking it dry and, and not allowing your children to really uh, build it because you don't want to take risks. I don't really think you need that 52 million at 80 years old, but that's an opinion of mine. Right. Um, Sheehan, this is very good for you. Let's say that I was going to take over and you were doing 5 million and anti-CMEX was going to give you 20 million. What do you think you would have done? I would have broke off a piece and see how you ran it. I wouldn't have sold until you either screwed up <laughs> or you did well. Then I wouldn't have sold it. I do think it's a very tough for process for people in their late 50s and 60s, even if you're doing 5 million to potentially get 20. And then you got these kids that you're never going to get 20 million from your kid, no matter what. Yeah. At the same time as a parent, I know for me, I won't sell. I had no intention of selling for a long time, but I won't even consider it until I know what my kids are going to do. There's a, such a thing as tough love, but at the same time, if my kids need to feed their kids or they have no direction, they'll always have something here. Yeah, and I also feel like if you're going to give a business, give is a very strong word, but if you're going to let your kids take over, there's certain things that can be put in place where you never work again, work, yeah. and you just get a paycheck until you die. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that either. You know what I mean? And we think very differently than certain people because you and I aren't ostentatious. We're not over the top. We don't need a $10 million house. Right. If our family is good and uh, we're good, there's only so much we need. A couple of vacations, a little bit of golf, nice glass yeah. of scotch, but... To get 52 million at 80 years old, and I'm just using that because it's out there. I just, the need isn't there. Your kids are all in their forties. And by the way, term life insurance is what most people should get because there's a term during these 30 years, you have 30 years to make sure that your kids are okay. Yeah. And if they're not, then they got to really fend for themselves because you should have done everything you could have done at that point. It's not like a buyout. I got term at 32 years old when I'm 62. If my kids have not already made it, either I did something wrong or they're just bad kids, which is probably would be my fault, though, for sure. It's always our fault. Right. <laughs> I've been told I've ruined my daughter's life probably twice a week for the past year. Oh, let me tell you about girls. <laughs> my daughter was a pain in the ass. She's like 13, 14. So I'm talking to my mom, rest in peace. And, and she's, oh, Jesus, come over. I'll tell you all about it. I said, okay. We went over there. We had our cup of tea with soda bread. And I said, so Ma, what's the deal with Jamie? Her hormones is raging. <laughs> I said, that's it. Yes, that's it. I'm like, oh shit. That ain't helping me much. Which is <laughs> <laughs> when, when they stop raging. That's <laughs> Frank's in the middle of it. His daughter's gonna be 15 in May. So Frank oh, probably gosh. got another solid 17 years. Oh, I tell you, I remember her coming home from school and she stops by the office. I need money. I said, okay, sit down. I said, we got some checks you need to enter. I just want money. I go, we got to work. So we had a good amount of checks that day. So as she's leaving, she goes, all that money. And you won't give me 20 bucks just to give it to me. You are cheap. 
So I said, stop by again if you want another 20. So I told my office manager, I go, don't pay bills until she comes in again. So I gave her a whole stack of bills to write checks. <laughs> goes, oh, Dad, do you keep any money at all? I keep a little, Jay. I keep a little. Don't worry about it. But she hated me. And I credit Joey. I think Joey must have talked to her and told me, he's not such a big guy. And then all of a sudden things changed. Yeah, you got a, you got a bit of a way to go yet. Yeah. But I, mom will probably help you with that. She spends a lot. She's actually been spending every weekend with my mother. Oh, good. Yeah, they're close. They're real tight. Gives me a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's another effect of COVID, right? Nobody has ever been around their loved ones this much yeah. or this long. And that's what I told my wife. I said, you know what? We're like beside ourselves. It's just been rough. And it's got to be hard to be 15 and not be with your friends all week. Yeah. We've been around each other. Like nonstop. If we could survive this, once quality of life returns and we're going to dinner, her and I usually go, my wife and I usually go to dinner once, twice a week. Or we'll go out for drinks once a week and dinner another night of the week. Like you forget, you don't realize how much the quality of life that provides. And I got to tell you, travel was really good for my marriage. Not traveling this long has been you, very you traveling for business, right? Yeah. You're getting out of your wife's hand. Getting out of the house, getting away from everybody, seeing you guys and just having drinks and talking with peers hasn't happened for me at all. I mean, I got my friends in the neighborhood who I spent a lot of time with them, but it's just understanding what I do. That's why Billy and I are so close because we do the same thing. And I feel, I feel so close to the pest industry because that's what I do. It's what I was raised in. It's what I ensure. And it's just being around people who understand what we do and how it goes and what the marketplace is doing, who's buying, who's selling. You know, there's so much of that that you don't realize was important socially. Yeah. I, I think pest world in Las Vegas is going to be ridiculous. I really hope to God they don't go virtual. Well, right now it's not. Yeah, right and, now, it should, I mean, and it should because Vegas is open for business. I got, I already booked a hotel room there and they're cheap. Me too, yeah. At the MGM. They're actually trying to do a leadership thing in June in person in Key Largo. That's on the radar. But I think in person is coming back. The whole new CDC piece with if you've been vaccinated, you can stand with no mask on. I don't know if everybody's going to be doing that. Yeah. Down here right now, the only time, if you go into a store, you should be wearing a mask. But out in the street and down the dog park, whatever... Nobody's wearing a mask. This little town here, Apalachicola, the whole town already got their second shot. Like they said, I don't know what the hell, because we usually don't do things right, but we got this right. You go into a restaurant, people walk in without a mask. I always wear a mask till I sit down, but it seems to be pretty much open down here. When I was in Florida, the restaurant that we went out to was like being in a restaurant before, Nobody had a mask on except for the servers, yeah. the waiters, the host. Right, One right. host did, two didn't. It was very weird. There was no social distancing. There was 50 yeah. people at the bar, two rows of people. If you had to order a drink, it was like ordering a drink in the past, leaning over somebody, excuse me, can I get a drink? Nobody was concerned. Yeah. When you go to mass on Sunday, they had certain seats blocked off. And this past Sunday, the priest said, starting next week, 
You can sit wherever you want. We were just talking about the governor in Texas is going to make or break his career on this decision to just open up as usual. But you you know what? Interestingly enough, I haven't seen anything where there's been a spike. In Texas, when I looked, Texas was at the top. I don't know if there was a spike or anything like that, but they were, because he had said Florida's not as bad as uh, New York. And I was like, I think they're actually worse. And then we looked at the numbers. No, they're not. No, but number-wise, they're not percentage-wise of people. They're not. Excuse me. They have 2 million more people in Florida than we have in New York. That's what I just said. Percentage-wise, they're not. I want to say Florida was like 1.7 million. New York was like 1.5. And Texas was at like 2 million and counting. But we could talk about COVID all day. Frank, what, if you can, what has been... The craziest insurance, I don't even know how to, you might not be able to, the craziest insurance claim during this time. I don't know if you could speak on it or something you've heard of. That's good. It's been quiet, honestly. That's also a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's something going on locally now that it's in litigation. It's tragic, but that's really, it's been your, your, your normal. I haven't seen bad termite claims in like forever. Cleveland bed bug litigation has died down significantly. The work is not, it's not everybody's down. You talk to bed bug central, our canine is down for 2020 was down 57%. Really? Is that COVID do you think? Or uh... 110% it's COVID. Yeah. We had six figures in New York alone of recurring that was happening, which is not the typical bed bug dog model. Right. Um, but that went out the window. We had seven figures on the books in Virginia, DC, Maryland, out the window. So thankfully, I still look at that as a loss, but it's not a monetary loss. It just never came to fruition. And then bed bugs, private homes. Yeah, think about it. If you had, let's say from April to June, you serviced all the bed bugs and it was not that different. Nobody went anywhere. Yeah, that's true. No summer camp, no real travel. So whatever bed bugs, you, you didn't have that much of a drop off as soon as everybody came home. In fact, maybe it was worse. But then by June or July, technically you had treated all the issues and they weren't in the places because no one was traveling. No one bringing them back. Yeah. yeah. And think about the corporate office space too. For us, that was huge. Yeah. Who brought bed bugs from their house? So, so many facets of this that you don't realize it. It's been life stopped, really. Yeah. And hopefully, things, these vaccines work. I'm sure they'll have boosters for variants. And I think New York, I think the rollout in New York's been pretty damn good. I was surprised that I was able to get vaccinated. Yeah. Did no, you have I- to wait long online? No, we went, they opened up. My wife's got asthma, I got high blood pressure. So we had notes from our doctor. So the second they opened up that Sunday morning was that phase allowed it. We had about seven devices going. I had my kids involved. Me and my wife, we were working multiple devices on the New York Forward site. And so we both got in a waiting room, both in the queue. And then we had to pick our appointments. We all did County Center in Westchester. And my wife got the following week. I got two weeks later. And she's done. As of last week, I'm done as of Wednesday this week. Inside, it's like a maze. You walk in very orderly. They got some National Guardsmen you know, running the entrance there. Very orderly. You get in, and there's about 
12 or 13 private rooms inside the county center that they put up just for this. And you go in, they ask you a few questions. And that was, by the time I got to the front door, until I got my vaccine, it was probably five or 10 minutes. And then I had to wait 30 minutes or whatever to go. A lot different than here. First vaccine they postponed because they ran out. Second vaccine they postponed because they ran out. But the one thing that struck me, I was on a, a line that was maybe 50 people. And I'm thinking like, oh, oh here we go. There's going to be fights and no fights, no nothing. And, and I, I said, what a long line. And when I got out, the line was like around the block. I was supposed to get it on a Saturday. They said, we'll probably call you on or before Monday. Nothing. I, I called them Tuesdays on the phone for an hour and a half. I said, oh, this is screwed up. I called Wednesday. I got right on. And they asked me, did you get the first shot? I said, yeah. And you got the card. Yeah. Come right in. So now I'm waiting online and I see a sign. You have to have an appointment. So I said, I'm going to tell them they called me. But I showed them the card. And you had to wait on one line, another line, this line. The whole thing took me about two and a half hours. But of course, when you're walking out, you're wondering if the stuff is affecting you now. And I say to myself, I ran around these streets. I drank in these bars. It's not going to affect me. And thank God it didn't. Big difference between Westchester and New York City. I think there was a lot of disruption with the snow in the winter in terms of delivery. That definitely got in the way, the weather. So, Frank, a year later, a year wiser for all of us out there, what would you, what's the number one thing that we should all be looking at as home, home service people, pest management people, insurance wise? I think employment practices is critical right now, more now than ever. And people should be looking at umbrellas. Auto claims keep getting bigger and bigger. And having that second million or third million on your auto, especially if you're in a metropolitan area, is critical. I got mine. (laughs) So it's very funny that you say that because in New York City, when I first got auto 15 years ago, you had to get a million dollar auto policy. Right. There was I don't, nothing. I don't sell else. anything else. I won't sell. I won't sell anything else. Somebody was just recently in one of the groups on Facebook saying, "I used to be able to get away with five hundred thousand. Now everybody's asking for a million auto." And I was like, "Wow, that's still going on in 2020. If, if you're down south, it's getting bigger. But for a long time, Florida, Georgia, Carolinas, five hundred was okay." It's been a long time since I've seen a, a sample certificate that low. And like I said, just from my own lessons learned, we won't sell anything below a million. And I've lost accounts because of that. But at the end of the day, it's not worth the lawsuit I'll get because I see claims above a million all the time. So the, for me, there are extreme cases in rural areas where I'll do 500 after they sign off on it. But typically, we don't sell below a million. And you know, besides the company, that second million and third million is just as important. I remember years ago, like 30 years ago, and this guy came to us and he said, yeah, you got to have a $5 million policy. I'm like, let me see what you want me to do. And it was if I was going to drop an I-beam on somebody's head or I worked with dynamite. And, and I told him, hey, what is this? He goes, you don't got it. You, we got to dump you. So I, I called you guys and I said, 
eh, it ain't that much money. What the hell? Maybe I can use it to get other customers. I got $5 million. And it worked out pretty good. But that was the first time I ever heard you have to have $5 million in certain accounts. And, you know, we played it up big to all our accounts and stuff that we had this. If they asked, when I say played it up, if they asked, what's your insurance? I told them. I gave them a copy of the policy and stuff like that. And it seemed to go over pretty good. One of the good things always about Select, Frank and Phyllis and David and everybody that Dave the rave. There, they'll talk. When you get the, Frank, I, I, we were looking at a construction one and it was like, yeah, I'd have a $20 million policy. Yeah. And Frank was like, do you have somebody I could talk to, like a risk person? We got him in touch with somebody and they were like, oh yeah, this is ridiculous for pest control, especially when the contract isn't even 20000 for the year and the insurance was going to be like forty grand. So I'm exaggerating the, the insurance price, but it was going to be significant and it wouldn't have even covered the contract. The honest truth is you'd be hard pressed to find a general liability pest control claim to go above a million, let alone 20 million. It's more auto than GL in terms of exposure. We've had our million, we've had our $2 million claims in pest control operations. It's rare, it's very rare. Typically your biggest claim is a six figure claim, but it happens and, and New York makes you have the million anyway. But any large account nowadays, $5 million is the price of admission. So, Frank, let the people know the best ways to get in touch with you and your team. I'm always available, Frank, at selectagency.com. I'm always in the office, 888-542-9002. I'm always Say that again. Say that again slow for guys like me. 888-542-9002. Frank at selectagency.com. Selectagency.com is our website. I can attest to Frank always being available. And Frank will still respond sometimes, I guess, when he catches something quicker, but always available. Yeah, I can't say enough. I dealt mostly with, with Frank's mom, but it was instead of other insurance guys run all these numbers at you, blah, 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 blah. You understood it. The way she explained stuff was very clear, and I just felt more secure. I know what I got now, and I made some changes the way we operated. And it was just it was just a good feeling to know what you got, and you got somebody to talk to that's going to react. Again, I bring up Sandy, where Justa came in 10 days, and he told us we were going to get a check, and we didn't get it. And I called, I got your mom. And she called me back in less than 10 minutes and said, you're going to get a, they're going to overnight you to check. We didn't have a mail delivery. You had to go to this army base to pick up your mail. And there was the check. So I never forgot that. Once again, Select Insurance, Frank McDonald, Phyllis McDonald, their whole team, always been huge supporters of the podcast, helped us out in business, two generations of business. Can't say enough about them. Reach out to us. If you have any questions, hit them up. Frank gave the information. The number I know by heart is 914-395-3131. That's the number that I give everybody. Sheen, you want to sign off? Mr. and Mrs. American All Ships at Sea. Ed Sheen for Colony Confidential. Had a great time today talking with Frank McDonald. And I would tell you from my own experience, if you want a good insurance company, you go to select. Mr. and Mrs. American, all the ships at sea. Until we meet again, God bless you.